series, and our theme is Living the Beatitudes. Brother Eric Garner from Avondale, uh, he kicked off our summer series with uh, I am blessed because I am poor in spirit. And we're delighted tonight to have Brother Wesley Simons with us, his good wife Kay. They came all the way over here from Elizabethan, took a little time off from the work where uh, he is uh, both preacher and elder at Stony Creek, director of the School of Preaching, and a whole host of other things that he does. Uh, hosts the radio program. Wesley's very, very busy, but uh, we're thankful that he is willing to come be with us. He spent, what, about eight years right here, Wesley? Six years right here, and, and he lost his mind and went to uh, Further East. I think that's what he told me. But anyway, uh, uh, we have a long history with uh, Wesley and, and the school and, and uh, the whole outfit over there. And we're thankful for that relationship, and, and we appreciate him. And Wesley, we appreciate you coming tonight. Wesley's topic is, I am blessed because I mourn. Come speak to us, brother. Thank you so much for inviting me to come and speak in this series of lessons. White Oak is a place that's dear to my heart. I love and appreciate this congregation. It is my home congregation. Elva and I obeyed the gospel here years ago. And White Oak has always helped me. Helped me in the school of preaching. When I graduated... And I went to the Mount Della Church of Christ. They couldn't afford to pay me. So guess who helped pick up the bill? The White Oak Church of Christ. Anytime I needed them, I could call White Oak and they would help. And guess who's helping us now more than anybody else? The White Oak Church of Christ. And thank you so much for that. Again, I want to thank you for being here. Even if you came like Ronnie Roffle. Ronnie was invited to come, and he said, why not? I'm sleepy anyway, you know. So, Ronnie's always been a dear friend. He shoved me in a swimming pool, fully clothed, pocketbook, I mean, billfold, watch, everything on. Shorty Sizemore jumped in and saved me, and Levada was trying to hold him back, you know. That's the kind of relationship that we've had here. And when I resigned and got ready to move, Ronnie Rothwell paid my moving expenses. Now what does that say? And then Ron and Mary Ruth Payne drove the vehicles. You know, you can tell when somebody's proud to get rid of you. No, I love them. They love me. And we appreciate each other so very, very much. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted according to Matthew 5 and verse number 4. You know, this verse is an unusual verse in so many ways. You know, what it's saying is happy are the sad. Have you ever thought about that? Blessed or happy are they that mourn or are sad or broken hearted? 
Now somehow, some way, God Almighty is pronouncing a blessing upon people that can mourn. And so we need to consider the kind of mourning that will bless your life and bless mine. Well, i tell you one thing. I know what it is to mourn. When you lose a beautiful daughter, 32 years of age, very faithful child of God, always involved in personal evangelism, you could not get around her unless she taught you the Word of God. Now that's the kind of person that she was. And when she died, it broke our hearts. Elva and I literally cried for months until finally we hugged each other one day and said, we got to let it go. we got to live. we got to move on. And we got to look at her death through the eyes of God and through the eyes of Candy. Candy was graduated into eternity to receive the reward for which she was working so hard to ascertain. And once we got a hold of that, made up our minds we was going to live with it, then Elva and I could live again. And then the death of a darling wife, someone that I'd been with 48 years. I married her when she was 16 years of age. And all she knew to a large degree later in life was married life. And boy, did she love it. She wanted to be nothing but a wife, a mother, and a Christian. And she worked hard at all three. And then when she took her last breath, it broke my heart. And I made up my mind then, as Elva and I made up our minds relative to Candy, I can't die with her. I got to live. And that's what she'd want me to do. It's what God would want me to do. And so I made up my mind I was going to go on and do God's work and not let this bog me down to the point I could not do what I needed to do. After Elva died, it was probably two to three months before I could preach again. It broke my heart. There's no way in the world I could stand up and preach at Stony Creek and look where she used to be seated without crying. And so then, I made up my mind that I couldn't go through life crying, broken hearted. God wouldn't want that. Elba was graduated, promoted into eternity. Now, as sad as these things are, the verse that says, Blessed are they that mourn, is not talking about the death of a daughter, the death of a wife or husband, a mother or a father. I got a mom, 90 years of age. We just about lost her. A few weeks ago, she had a heart attack. But she's back up on her feet again and going fairly strong. Well, I love her dearly. But should she die, 
I can't let that destroy me. And that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about the loss of your finances or even the loss of your health. But does God care when the aforementioned events happen to you or me? Absolutely, God cares. And you've got to understand that, and I've got to understand that. i got a son-in-law that's got leukemia. He has been fighting for a year and a half, trying to beat it. And with God's help, good medication, hopefully he'll do it. Thank you for your generous contribution to help pay his medical expenses, which are enormous. So God does care, but that's not what this verse is talking about when it talks about mourning. It's not even talking about a bad hair day. Now one thing that Rick and I never have is a bad hair day. It's not talking about a bad week where you're having a little trouble with your next door neighbor. You're having a little trouble with your boss. It's not talking about that. Not at all as we think about mourning. You know, there's a a wrong kind of mourning in the Bible. We see men like Judas Iscariot that betrayed the Lord, and I'm convinced it broke his heart once he realized what had taken place. But he went out trying to relieve the guilt in the wrong way. You see, sin's supposed to hurt us, make us feel bad, make us mourn. That's what this verse is talking about. So in Matthew 27, verse 3 beginning, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. You know what Judas Iscariot had seen time and time again in the life of our Lord where they tried to take him and couldn't do it. So he might have reasoned this way. I'll sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. They'll come as usual and try to take him. They won't be able to do it. I would have lived up to my contract with them. I've got my money. And they couldn't get him. But the Bible says when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself. That's worldly morse. Uh, remorse rather. Now I want you to notice if you will that now he feels the guilt the sorrow he's mourning but what does he do? He goes out and he hangs himself. I used to have a stat years ago I've lost it of how many people that are actually in the hospital because of guilt. Because they can't live with the way they've been living. Well, that's mourning, but one's got to mourn, moved by godly sorrow, realizing that he or she has violated the will of God. 
You know, one weeps because he or she gets caught stealing. That's mourning. We had a prison ministry, a jail ministry, and I've had those individuals come up to me crying and telling me how sorry they were that they had let their family down and how they wanted to live a better life. And of course, that's why we were there, trying to teach them how to live that better life, but yet never obeyed the gospel of Christ. They were sorry they got caught. They were sorry they destroyed their family name. But they were not moved with godly sorrow unto repentance. And that's what one must do. One weeps because he or she got caught selling illegal drugs. You know, we got a student right now that was a drug dealer. He was shot, nearly killed, kicking the door in, going to do a man in for stealing his drugs. And when he was shot, he said when he fell back on the ground, he said, oh God, please, don't let it end this way. And brother, when he got well, he was moved with godly sorrow to make his life right. That's what this verse is all about. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Pain should cause a corrective reaction. Now, if you step on a nail and it comes up through your foot, you don't holler for somebody to get a hammer to bend the nail over. Uh Uh-uh. You want to pull that foot back up because that hurts. That's the way sin ought to be in your life and mine. When we commit sin and offend the Most High God, it ought to hurt us. And we ought to mourn. And we ought to be sad. That's what this verse is teaching. I want you to notice in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Jim McFouse, Eddie Kraft, and I were visiting in Squatchy Valley, and we went to a man's house trying to influence him for good. And you know what that man said with tears running down his face? He said, I'd give anything I own right now if I could feel remorse over sin like I did when I was young. It doesn't bother me anymore. See, one can reach that state. I used to do electrical work, and we were down at Woolworths in Chattanooga when it existed, and putting in receptacles, and I asked the electrician with whom I was working, is the circuit cut off for this feed for these receptacles? Oh, yeah. He said, I'll show you. 
He reached down there, grabbed the neutral wire, the hot wire, and held them. Said, see, no power. I thought, well, I'll hook them up. So I got down there and grabbed a hold of those wires and got knocked backwards. You see, he had killed the nerves in his fingers doing that. And you can sear your heart. I can sear mine. And so we've got to be very careful and keep the heart tender, the conscience tender, so that when we offend God, we feel the pain, the guilt, the remorse. In Matthew 26, beginning with verse 73, And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now that's the way we ought to respond. When we know that we have done that which God does not want done. You know, Jesus Christ saw that good heart. And he told Peter that he is going to do this. And then he told him this. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. See, he saw a heart that could feel guilt. A heart that would weep over sins. Some are past filling. I mean, you can work on them and work on them and work on them. And you cannot get them to where they need to be. And I want to tell you this. I believe there's a great danger in going through this life, living the way you want to live, with even maybe the mindset that one day I'm going to become a child of God. Because that lifestyle becomes who you are. And I reference my father, one of the finest men I've ever met in my life. If he'd have been a Christian, I would probably make him the finest man I've ever met. But you see, he developed a lifestyle. He lived to be almost 92 years of age. Never became a child of God. Why? Because he accepted what he was doing as being that which he ought to do. And therefore died without becoming a child of God. I'd invite him to go hear me preach. He wouldn't go. As he was nigh unto death, I called mom and said, please, Get the preachers from the Goodwood Church of Christ or Walker Church of Christ to go over and talk to him and plead with him. Did no good. Some people are beyond feeling for different reasons. Some people live in sin and love it. And they don't plan to come out of it. It makes no difference what you say nor what I say. Now notice what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 beginning with verse number 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now watch this. Who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. They were past feeling. You know, uh, if you ever knock doors much, a lot of times when you go knock on certain people's door, it makes them mad. They're not appreciative that you're there. They don't appreciate the fact that you care for their soul. It makes them mad. So as we think about blessed are they that mourn, we must back up and consider the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're not going to mourn until you realize you must be poor in spirit. Now these are they that are bankrupt spiritually. They've got nothing to offer. They can do nothing to rescue themselves. They have reached the basement when it comes to ungodliness, guilt. Therefore, their only hope is turning to God. You know, I studied with a preacher one time over in Pikeville and denominational preacher. And he said, Wesley, what's the first thing you got to teach an individual that you want to convert? And I said, well, I usually camp out on Bible authority. He said, that's wrong. I said, wrong. The first thing you've got to convince him of is that he's lost and he's got a need. No, there's a lot of truth in that. Then you deal with Bible authority. If a man or woman doesn't realize they're lost, and they're spiritually undone in the sight of God, and they have an awesome need, how in the world are you going to help them? You can't help them. They don't feel like they need help. And so there's no use talking to those people for the most part. I want you to look at Romans 5 and verse number 6. You're talking about a powerful verse. For when ye were without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When you committed that first sin, when I committed that first sin, we were without strength to save ourselves. We were doomed. And until one realizes that, and realizes they're bankrupt spiritually, and able to mourn over their condition, you're not going to help them. I'm not going to help them. And you're not going to be helped. And I'm not going to be helped if we do not hold that view. Only after one is poor in spirit does the Bible say, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, all this goes together. And we've got to understand how it works together to bring about your salvation and mine. In Matthew 11, beginning with verse number 28, the great invitation that the Lord gave, Come unto me, 
All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, when you're poor in spirit, when you mourn over your condition, then you realize you need to go to the Lord. And He will give you rest. Who's going to carry that burden of guilt for you? Who's going to get rid of your sin record? It's the Lord. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we've got to realize our need. I want you to notice as we think about the right kind of mourning in 2 Corinthians 7, beginning with verse number 9. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. Now that's what we're driving at. You've got to feel the guilt, the sorrow of transgressing the law of the Most High God. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Now watch this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Don't you back off of that. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. The guy up here in the Red Bank jail that's crying tonight because he got caught stealing, That won't help him one bit. It won't help him at his trial. And it's not going to help him in eternity. But a man in that jail that realizes he's bankrupt spiritually. And he's saddened that he has violated the will of God. And he's willing to do what God says do to become a child of God. That man is blessed according to the word of God. Again, as we consider the right kind of mourning, I want you to think about the rich young, not rich young ruler, but the uh, prodigal son in Luke 15, 17 and following. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The prodigal son did not feel like he deserved to be a son. This man is broken hearted. He reached the basement. He was with the swine. Going to eat the husk in the pig pen. And when he came to himself, realized what he had done. He decided to go home to dad. And he said, I'm not worthy. To be called your son. Just make me a servant. And I'll be tickled to death. Now there's a man that realized he was bankrupt spiritually. And a man that realized that he needed help. And he knew where to go to get that help. See you got to know where to get the help too. And that's from God. In James 4 beginning with verse 8. Draw nigh to God. And he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, now watch, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, 
and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Now notice, you've got to draw near to God. Flee from Satan. Cleanse your hands, mourning over the ungodliness you and I have been involved in. That's what this beatitude is all about. In Luke 18, beginning with verse number 13, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You remember the Pharisee? He prayed in essence, the Bible says, with himself. And all through the context, I, 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 telling God what he had done. In essence, he is praying, God, you're one of the luckiest beings I know anything about because you've got me as your servant. What a rotten attitude. But when it came time for the publican to address God, he wouldn't even lift up his head, smote his breast, and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He realized how bad sin was and was willing to mourn and be ashamed of what he did. Now, don't confuse the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through with the great Sermon on the Plain. Jesus Christ did just like Rick and Wesley. Sometimes he preached the same thing more than one time. And so here he is with the great Sermon on the Plain. And he said, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Boy, you think about that. You weep now over your sin, over your ungodliness, make it right with God, and look at all the laughter and joy you're going to have in all eternity. Then in verse 25 he says, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. There's people out here that's laughing at you and me because we believe in God. Because we believe the Bible, believe in one church, one plan of salvation, the correct way to worship. They better get all their laughing in that they're going to involve themselves in because judgment day, it's going to be too late. The laughing will be over. Here are some verses I often use at funerals. Man, I never go to a funeral, or try never go to a funeral, but when I walk up to the casket and view the body, I say to myself, Wesley, one day, that's going to be you. And what will the verdict be? How will you have lived in the sight of God? Never go to a funeral. But what you put yourself in that casket, so to speak, so that you'll ponder what life is all about. 
Here's an individual in a casket. What did he or she accomplish in life? What was life all about for that individual? Just to get up in the morning, go to work, make a few bucks, come home, spend that few bucks on a few things, and then go back to work? See, that's what Solomon tried to explore in the book of Ecclesiastes. And after he had tried wine, women, and song, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring everything that you and I have done into judgment, even the secret things, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Now watch these verses in Ecclesiastes 7. Beginning with verse number 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. In other words, it's appointed unto men once to die. And the living will lay it to his heart. See, you and I should benefit by going to a funeral. Not just by giving comfort to the one that's lost a loved one but by evaluating self. This is going to be me. This is my end. This is where I'm headed. Folks, you are closer to your death than you have ever been in your life, and so am I. And you're closer to the second coming and the judgment than you've ever been in your life, and so am I. You see, and we got to weigh those things. Then it says, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the, count, uh, the, the countenance, the heart is made better. You know, when Candy and Elba both were sick, you're talking about increasing your prayer, uh, prayer life, and same way with Travis. Man, it will increase your prayer life. And I prayed this as I left the hospital with Candy so sick. I said, Lord, if you can, please help restore her to her health. But if she's not restored, I thank you for the years I've had with her. And I will never give up on you. You see, I can't get mad at God. God didn't kill Candy. Adam and Eve did when they separated you and me from the tree of life. Sin did it. Satan did it. Not God. Don't blame God. Appreciate the fact that God has fixed it so that you and I can have a body one day that will never die again or suffer pain. Then I want you to notice verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. See, are you wise? Do you think about death? Do you think about being sad? And weeping over sin. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Oh, you go out here to a beer joint and they talk about how great you are and you're the best buddy. Oh, what a wonderful song they're singing about me. No, it's better that somebody 
get on to me for going to the beer joint and telling me that I have violated the law of God. Now think about the great comfort. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What kind of comfort? First of all, getting to be placed into the body of Christ, the family of God on earth, the greatest place there is that anyone can be on the face of the earth. You know, as I come here, I look at you, many of you I've known for years, some of you I went to school with, and I think about how much we love each other and care for each other, all because we're in a family, the family of God, the greatest family there is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in the church. If you're in the church, you're in the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, you're in his army. If you're in his army, you're in his family. If you're in his family, you're part of the bride. You just think about it as we go on and on. What a great relationship that is. Then, as you and I live the Christian life, it's not just a life. It is the greatest life that anybody can live. And John 10.10 says that. What comfort to know that you and I are living the greatest life that one can live. Let me tell you something, folks. If Elva and I had not become children of God, no telling what would happen to us. No telling where we would have been. I might have been an alcoholic. I might have been a fornicator. She might have been. But once we made that covenant with God, it gave us a life, and not just a life, the most abundant life that anyone can live. What comfort. Look at verse 10 of John 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. Now watch it. And they might have it more abundantly. You see, God, when he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, was not doing like some people who call our radio program and think that God looked at all the things that bring pleasure and said, Thou shalt not do them. No, when God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, he is trying to keep Elva and me together, Kay and me together. That's why he said that. If Kay and I are going to make it, we're going to have to abide by the principles of the Bible. Same way with you and your mate. And boy, it produces the most abundant life there is upon the face of the earth. I was reared around a bunch of drunks. I've never been drunk a day in my life. Two reasons. I saw the finished product of the brewer's art in their life. And God Almighty, after I became a child of God, told me I couldn't do it. And he told me that because... He didn't want me to turn out like those I knew in days gone by. And I knew that's why he told me that. In Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And again, the point that the great comfort we have being together. The greatest support group on the face of the earth is the church. The greatest people that you and I can depend on for comfort 
members of the church. And God gave that to you, and he gave it to me. But boy, think about what awaits you and me. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they that came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they, notice, therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Watch it. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. Neither shall the light, sunlight on them, nor any heat. And we could read other verses. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. I told you you ought to learn from a funeral service when you go. But you're going to have to do all that learning here. There'll be no funeral homes in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? No nursing homes. No hospitals. No police stations. No armies. You see, we'll be, as these verses say, around the one who sits upon the throne. I can't imagine how awesome it's going to be when the Lord appears in the air. It's going to be so awesome that the, the most rank infidel and atheist that's ever lived will fall to his or her knees. And I don't care how good you've lived, how good I've lived, we're going to our knees because of that awesome sight. But you think about then being in the presence of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all the righteous angels of days gone by, all the saints of days gone by. And be able to talk to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets of days gone by, the Apostle Paul, and let Jesus Christ teach the great sermon on the mountain. You hear it. Man, what he's got prepared, who knows how great it's going to be. It's going to be greater than anything you and I can envision. The word repent, some people on earth hate to hear this word. However, everyone in hell would like to hear it just one more time. So they could mourn and weep over their spitting in the face of God Almighty. Here's people that's going to mourn too late. You're going to mourn over your sins. Everybody is. You can mourn now unto salvation or you can wait and mourn in all eternity in a devil's hell. The Bible says in Matthew twenty four fifty one, And shall cut them asunder and appoint them his portion with the hypocrites. Now watch it. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're mourning over their ungodly life. Matthew twenty five thirty. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Watch it. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13, 28. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and ye yourselves thrust out. There are several verses that indicate in the Bible that the lost will be able to see the saved. 
But the saved won't be able to see the lost. I'd hate to be able to see all of y'all enter into the kingdom of heaven and me, myself, cast out. You're talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth? That would do it. So here we are. You will mourn over your sins. There's no doubt about that. You can do it now or in all eternity. Which way do you prefer? You see, it's your choice. It's mine. And God's given us a simple plan to obey. That if we obey it, truly being poor in spirit, mourning over our condition, being sincere, then He'll forgive us. To remember those sins no more. What do you do? You've got to hear the Word of God. You've got to believe in the Son of God. Repent of what the Son of God says is wrong. Confess the Son of God. And be baptized into the death of the Son of God. Romans 6, 1 through 6. To arise and the Son of God will add you to His church. It's all Jesus Christ-centered. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, if you're here tonight not a child of God, I hope you realize how poor in spirit you really are. And you're willing to mourn over your sins. And you're willing to obey the Lord before it's too late. On the other hand, if you've done that but you've not been faithful, I encourage you to come back home to your first love as together we stand and sing.